So last week we started a new sermon series called Blind Spot. Y'all remember that if you were here. If not, we're starting a new sermon series. Those that are joining us online, we're glad for you. Um, but we all know what that means like in our vehicle, right? We're looking in our, our rear view mirror and maybe you're uh, getting ready to pass somebody and there's a blind spot. Maybe um, this is the one that gets me is when you park and then you've got two really, really big SUVs or trucks next to you that are like... <laughs> and you're trying to back out, and you can't see, and there's a blind spot. That's very, very frustrating. But more importantly, what we were talking about last week was really not anything that has to do with vehicles, but more about we need to understand in our lives that we all have blind spots, and we know that's true, and how we think, and how we act, and how we behave and believe, and it has to do with our experiences in life, our experiences in life, our upbringing, the culture we live in, the environments we have lived in, the environment we do live in, and then just our unique personalities and how God has created us. There are present and real things that are real in our lives, but sometimes I don't see them. And you don't see them, but other people see them clearly, but they see that you don't see them, but we know those are real. So uh, when I was growing up, I had a poster in my on the back of my door in my room, uh, when I was growing up, it was Muhammad Ali. Y'all know who Muhammad Ali is? It was a life-size picture of Muhammad Ali, you know, in his stance. And uh, for some of y'all young ones, just Google it. You probably know who he is, but anyway. He was actually, though, before Muhammad Ali, he was Cassius Clay, and he was born in Kentucky. And the stuff I've read about him, he was very shy and quiet growing up, which you was like, what? You know, the guy says, I'm the greatest all the time, which I but no, he was. And he had dyslexia and had a hard time walking through that um, but obviously when he became a boxer we know him for saying outrageous things before the fight during the fight and after the fight that's how he was you know I'm the greatest things like that so humility might have been a blind spot for Muhammad Ali later in his career you know because he was so successful but there's a story of him flying on an airplane one time and as we all know if you've been on an airplane uh, the turbulence thing will happen and the captain comes on and says, hey, you know, we're getting ready to experience some turbulence. Everybody, we're going to turn the fasten seatbelts uh, sign on, and our, you know, our flight attendants are going to encourage you to buckle your seatbelts. And so that was happening, and the uh, flight attendants were kind of checking on everybody before they go back to the back and sit down before the turbulence. Well, one of the flight attendants noticed that uh, Mr. Ali was not buckling his seatbelt. <laughs> so she said, sir, I'm going to need you to buckle your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she, without missing a beat, saw that he had a blind spot and said, Superman don't need no airplane either, so why don't you buckle your seatbelt? <laughs> so it was pretty funny. So we all have those blind spots, and he certainly had one that day. But anyway, last week we looked at a text from Luke's account, the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus' resurrection, um, and his account of him on that road to Emmaus, if you'll remember where in that text we looked at Jesus, two of Jesus' followers um, were on the road um, to Emmaus from Jerusalem, which was about seven miles. And in that, um, in that journey they were making, they encountered, actually encountered Jesus. But the scripture tells us that they were kept from recognizing that it was Jesus. It was Jesus, but they were kept from recognizing him. But as they're walking along, he's saying, what have y'all been talking about? I overheard y'all talking about all these things. You haven't heard about what's happened in Jerusalem and Jesus of Nazareth, and everybody thought he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, and you know he's been crucified, and then he was laid in a tomb, and now his, you know, his body is missing, and you know they're trying to say all this. And Jesus 
tells them that basically they are being foolish and slow of heart to not really understand why Jesus had to come, why he had to suffer, and all these things were happening. So it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to try to clear their blind spot on this seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And when they get this, we notice as we got to the end, it was revealed to him who Jesus really was, and they're like, how do we not catch that? But he was revealing that they had some blind spots about why the Messiah had to come. The Messiah didn't just come for Israel, not just for the Jewish people, but he came for everybody, for everybody's sin and giving them restoration with the Father. So today I want us to kind of have fun in the next few weeks of going back because it says he's starting with Moses and all the prophets. So I want to go back to Moses and some of the prophets and say, where were those things? They were making this way, paving this way for a Messiah, a Savior that was to come. But what were some of their blind spots along the way? Because as great and as righteous as those people were, they were humans too, and they had blind spots. And the very Jesus they were paving the way for, they needed him as their Savior as well. So we're going to start with Moses, and I don't want to assume everybody knows the story of Moses, but I'm assuming a lot of people do. But I want to encourage you just to kind of give you a little background. So the people of Israel had been uh, under um, uh, you know, the thumb of Egypt for about 400 years, and they had been crying to the Lord saying, you know, we need a Savior, we need somebody to release us from Egypt. And so in Exodus, we go in, and all of a sudden Moses is born, and you remember he's born, and the Pharaoh is telling the Hebrew slaves, you know, if you have a, a baby boy born, you throw him into the Nile River. It's a girl, she can be saved, but let's throw it. It's like, oh, oh, we can't do that. And Moses is hidden in this little um, uh, little basket by his uh, mother and sister, and the Pharaoh's daughter finds him and hears him crying. And she feels sorry and takes him in. And so Moses is raised in Pharaoh's daughter's, uh, you know, in the... In the uh, uh, her palace there, and then he grows up, and but he notices that he is Hebrew. He knows that, and one day he sees some Hebrew slaves working, and a Egyptian is is beating one of them and treating them bad, and he loses his mind, and he goes down and he kills that Egyptian, and and then he has to flee, and he has to go out into the desert. He has to leave Egypt. So just a little background, and then Moses has this. Uh, uh, supernatural experience where he's out tending sheep, what is what he does now, and he sees this burning bush, but it's not burning, and God speaks to him and basically says, I've heard the cries of the Israelite people, and I'm going to do something about it, and you're the guy that's going to lead it, to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses is a little overwhelmed. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4 where Moses has been told he's going to be the guy that God has chosen to do this, and let's see what his response is. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. So Moses answers, But what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. I was thinking, uh, I wonder how long that took. You know, I mean, he had already run from it. Now he's got to pick it up by the tail. And I hate snakes, so this would be uh. But anyway, so Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous, and it had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. 
Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Now, we know in the next few verses that God is pretty angry with Moses because he's like, I'm not sending anybody else. You're the guy. And so from this text, God has specifically called Moses to this incredible task, this incredible adventure. But Moses seemingly thinks that God's picked the wrong guy. I don't have the, I don't have the skills. I don't have the voice. All this stuff he's saying, he has a blind, blind spot of thinking that God can't do this through me. And it was a blind spot. Notice the question he asked. And some of these are a couple in the chapter before. But he says, uh, who am I to say, who am I to go to Pharaoh? I'm just, a, I'm just a, a shepherd, you know. I know I used to live there, but that was years ago. Y'all do realize he was 80 years old when this happened. 80 years old. And who shall I say sent me? And what is his name? And remember, God says, tell him that I am has sent you. And what if the people don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me and said, you didn't really hear from God, and God answers him with that. I'm not good at speaking. I'm slow of speech. And then he finally just says, please send someone else. I don't really want to do this. There's a blind spot. He doesn't want to be a part of this. And again, keep in mind, he's 80 years old. So there's a part of Moses that just goes, I'm too old for this. I don't want to deal with this. Please send someone else. But I really believe God is trying to get Moses and the Hebrew people and actually us, all generations that read this, to realize and see that God calls all of us to task in our lives. He's created us for purpose. And it's different for all of us, but he's created all of us for purposes in lives. Good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do, as Paul says in Ephesians. And of course, there are areas where we're not equipped to do these things, that we can't do it. You know... Between this service and the last service, somebody came up to me and says, you know what, when you just talked about that, I remember, and she was telling me about a, a time where she was a part of this um, group of, of ladies, and, and somebody asked her to do something, and when she first heard it, she was like, there is no way I'm doing that. But she said, I finally realized as, as I was thinking up, she says, I was in my mind thinking up, I was counting the reasons why I wasn't going to do it, and then finally it's, you know, God kind of spoke to me and says, wait a minute, you can do this. And she says, okay, I'll do it. And it was something she did for years. And she says, it wasn't easy at first. It was something I was intimidated by. But I really believed that God had called me to do that. And I was asked to do it. And I should do it. So I was very encouraged for her sharing with that me between the services. But I think all of us can identify with that. There's things in our life that we think, oh, I couldn't do that. But the reality is, is that it's not just my job to tell people about Jesus. It's your job, too. Well, you're the preacher. Well, I know that. You're the evangelist. Oh, I know that. And I feel a calling to that. But Jesus has called you just as much as he's called me in the influence you have and the people in your life, in your circles, in your environment, to tell them about Jesus. We've got Mike here. He's going to tell us a little bit about Point University and how they're sending students out. And it's not just to be preachers. 
But it's all walks of life that have to go into the workforce and they have influence and they have an opportunity to tell people about the Jesus that they follow. And that's very important. And God's called all of us to do that. And then that's where God has called us to be dependent on him when we think we can't do those things. Because we all, we all have opportunities. When I listened to, <laughs> I listened to one of my first sermons and I thought, that was horrible. God bless the people that heard that first sermon. You know, I mean, I think it was about 10 minutes and they were happy because it was on Sunday night. And it was like it was like 10 minutes. And I said everything I could. And everybody was glad. Like, oh, man, let him preach more often. It's only 10 minutes. But I thought that was terrible. My thoughts were all over the place, you know. And I know some of you are going, oh, you got much better, buddy. But anyway, um, it was one of those things where I didn't think I could do that. But God, because of his power and because of his um, giftedness and walking with me, it's helped me to be able to develop that. And all of us have those things where at one point we thought we couldn't do them. I know when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection, when he was preaching to those people and 3,000 people came forward, the rest of the disciples were going, who is that guy? We've never heard Peter do something like that before. But he was then transformed by the Holy Spirit and God gave him that power. And so when we do things like that, we recognize that was not me. That was God working through me and how important that is. But he's created us and invited us to be a part of that. And he says, I know you're not gifted because God can certainly do all these things himself. But he's chosen to work through us. And I was thinking about when Moses... Uh, said, you know, I don't, I'm not good at speaking. I, I'm slow of tongue and all that kind of stuff. How many of y'all know who James Earl Jones is? You ever heard that great voice? Okay. And, you know, I'm not a Star Wars person, but I know he was, he's Darth Vader's voice, right? Or at least in some of the movies. And so um, I didn't know, and maybe y'all didn't know, but he really struggled with a speech impediment when he was younger. And he was very quiet and very shy because of that speech impediment or that stutter. And so one day he had a teacher that noticed that he had this, and she didn't want to embarrass him, but she knew that he really enjoyed writing and reading poetry. And she said to him one day, if you like the words that much, James, you ought to be able to say them out loud. Now, at first you might think, how cruel is that? Because he's going to mess them up. But he says to address that, he began performing Shakespeare. And he says, if I hadn't been a stutterer, I never would have become an actor. Think about that. Something that we think is a weakness, God can work through that and allow us to use that giftedness to um, affect a lot of people in our lives. And he's given us all of that, the opportunity. And availability is not just about a place that you will go or I will go. It's not just a point in time that you will go or I will go. But it's availability of our heart, of our mind and our spirit. God can and will use us like he did Moses. That doesn't mean we're necessarily going to go to a world leader like Pharaoh and say, hey, you need to let your whole workforce of a million or two million people go. Can you imagine? That's what Moses was tasked with. He may not ask us to do something that big, but he is going to ask us to do something. And we're going to think at times and have a blind spot. Oh, I can't do that. I can't speak. I can't say it. I can't get my thoughts together, whatever it is, or I don't have the ability. But he goes, that's exactly why I'm calling you, because I can work through your weakness. And so when you do it, you point to me, not to yourselves. It's a spiritual availability, allowing God to work through you that becomes powerful in our lives. And so finally, Moses allowed God to remove that blind spot that I'm not the right person and there's too many obstacles, and he was able to do what God called him to do. Now, that was a process. Remember, he says, I know you're saying you can't speak, but I'm going to let your brother Aaron come, and he's going to help you with that for a while. But what about me and you today? 
Maybe there's some things that God has asked us to do in our lives, and we feel that a little bit, but we've kind of put that off. Because Yeah, but I, I really couldn't do that. I, I don't have that personality. I don't have that ability. I don't have that giftedness to do that. But God is probably calling you to do that. And it's a matter of will we accept the task and walk with God in accomplishing something for His kingdom? And He will not call us to a task that He won't, us, won't equip us with that. You know, if he's going to call you to a task, he's going to equip you for that task. And we got to believe that, even though it's scary, even though we think we might not be able to do it. Now, what I want us to do now is I want us to transition here from this chapter 4 of Exodus. And we're going to go through, and we're going to skip a lot of the highlights. So if you want to read chapters 5 through 17, I would encourage you to do that this week of Exodus. Because this is where the really exciting stuff starts, okay? Because... You know, he goes to Pharaoh, and he throws down the staff. He does all those things, these supernatural things. And there's the ten plagues. And if you know this, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I hope it piques your interest, and you'll go read it this week. And then all of a sudden, finally, Pharaoh goes, okay, you can take the workforce and leave. And so can you imagine the exodus of a million people? And they move out on this one night, on that, on that special night, and they move out, and he takes them. And then there's the scene at the, the Red Sea. You, uh, you know, the Pharaoh changes his mind. No, go back and get my workforce. What was I thinking? And he comes after him, and he parts the Red Sea. So Moses is a part of all these things. All of a sudden, he realizes, wow, God's doing some things through me that I never thought he could do through me. And he's been doing something amazing. He's released all of our people. So we see that. Now I want us to go back. So he's done all these things, and we're going to go to chapter 18, and we're going to see a new blind spot that Moses has developed in chapter 18. Moses didn't have a problem doing tasks anymore for God. Now his blind spot's going to be different. He thinks he must do all of it now by himself. So let's read from chapter 18 of Exodus. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens." Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this in God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Now, I'm amazed at this story for several reasons. Moses has been a part of some of the greatest supernatural things that God has ever done in the Bible. You know, we always think about the Red Sea parting and those ten plagues and throwing your stick down and having it turn into a snake and picking it back up and it's a, you know, it's a staffing and all those things. And now he's kind of led them out into the desert and there's some complications. People are starting to complain. What a shocker, you know, people complaining about stuff. 
You know, they're in the desert. They've moved out, and they don't have water sometimes. They don't have food sometimes, and they're complaining. Oh, we should have stayed in Egypt and all this stuff. And he's dealing with all that. Um, but, but all these incredible things he's done to lead the Hebrew nation out of Egypt, and it's obvious it's not been easy on this journey, and Moses knew that his calling was from God. He's convinced of it now and working in and through him to accomplish what he's doing among the people. But at this point, the people and the disputes that he's trying to help them, because they've got a new law now, and there's all these laws, and it's been given to Moses, and then he has to teach everybody. And so he's sitting around, and it's weighing heavy on Moses as a leader. So his father-in-law comes for a visit. Any of y'all had your father-in-law come for a visit? You know, he's kind of like, oh boy, here we go. You know, you got to gear up. Is he watching everything I'm doing? Are you critiquing me? Well, that's exactly what Jethro, that's his name, was doing that day. He was critiquing what Moses was doing. As he watched him, he watched him all day. And he goes, all these people are lined up to see you from the day it starts, from the day, you know, when the day started till the end of the day. And you're doing all of this. And he said, this isn't good. This is too much for you. It's going to wear you out. And these people are coming to you. And he says, I want to give you some advice. And so Jethro had some very practical advice for Moses in this blind spot because he had become gone from, I can't do any of this, God, get somebody else, to I have to do all of it by myself. Nobody else can do it. And so he says, this is not good. But verse 24, which I did not read, but is the one after the last verse I read, 23, says this, Moses listened to his father-in-law and he did everything he said. It was good advice, but this is interesting to me because everything that Moses has had to this point is coming directly from God. He gets all his information from God directly. He talks with God, but now your father-in-law is going to tell you this stuff, and Moses was picked and called by God to leave. There's no doubt about that. He had performed all these miracles, and now Moses is to bring them food and water, all this stuff. He, he connects with God with that. So after all of this, Moses could have easily said, Thanks a lot, Jethro. I appreciate your concern, but I get my orders from God, not from you. And he would have been right. But Moses didn't say that. Moses didn't have that attitude. He had a humble attitude and recognized wisdom was coming from his father-in-law. And even the way Jethro presented it was, and if God commands. He didn't say, if you don't do this, I'm, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm leaving tomorrow. You know, He just goes, I'm just telling you, I'm trying to help you, brother. This is not good. This is not good for you. It's not good for the people. I'm just trying to help you out. But Moses saw that. This was not a word from God, but it seemed obvious that God was working through his father-in-law. And instead of saying, hey, I've got this, he says, no, I hear what you're saying. So what do we learn from this? What do you and I learn from this? That God has placed people in our lives to help us. Their help to us and our help to them is what God has called us to do together. And I have seen that happen, y'all, in this church over and over and over again, because we have things sometimes in our lives that are way too big for just us to handle on our own, don't we? We all have them, and I've seen people step up and say, I know it's too big for you, let me help you out. And God's called us to be a part of that work together. And if we will be humble like Moses and listen to wise counsel from people who want to help us, we can remove a blind spot of thinking, I have to be in control, I have to do everything because nobody else can do it right. And we know those people in our lives. Maybe we're that person. Maybe that's your blind spot today. You know, you're trying to help somebody, and every time you do something, you know, I've joked about this before about loading the dishwasher. There's only one way to do it, right? You know? And instead of letting your kids load the dishwasher, get out of the way, I'll do it because i got to do it right. No. That's a blind spot. They've got to learn. You've got to let them do those things. And so he's saying, don't have a blind spot, Moses. You've got great people that God has created 
for his people to do great things. They have tasks too. Let them do these tasks. And God's called all of us to be a part of his kingdom work. I want to um, share another illustration that I read about recently, and it was about came from uh, the former COO of Ritz-Carlton Hotels. And those are, you know, really swanky hotels. That's a Jonathan word, swanky. Um, and if you stay there, I mean, it is top-notch. Everything is for the service of the people. You want them to be happy. So they, they talked about a story of one manager's discovery of a problem they had one year that confused almost everyone. Because if you work there, you understand it's all about customer service. You've got to make these people happy because they're paying a lot of money to stay here, and everything has to be just right. But they were having this problem. Room service was getting delayed in people's rooms, and they couldn't figure out why it was happening. People's eggs were cold. Their toast was hard. The guests were inconvenienced. So Mr. Schultz described a typical response as being something along the lines of scolding the supervisor, uh, scolding the supervisor for being incompetent. That's the way it works at some places. And as one could expect, then the scolded supervisor, he goes and he gets the staff around there and he scolds them like, we got to get it together. What are you incompetent people not doing? Blame would cascade down from one person to the next. But he said, this isn't what happened at the Ritz-Carlton. He said, the manager assembled his whole team and they studied the problem. The kitchen staff prepared the food on time. The staff quickly took those trays from the kitchen to the elevator for delivery, and they discovered that the issue had nothing to do with the kitchen staff or the delivery people, but rather the service elevators were not always available when they needed to be. This delayed the delivery, and then they continued to study the situation by using a stopwatch to time the elevators for the entire morning and figure out how long it took, and it should be plenty of time to get that food to the people. And so the reason the food was delayed and arriving in the rooms cold had nothing to do with the irresponsible kitchen staff or faulty elevators. Somebody in management had made a decision to reduce the number of bed sheets. We're paying too much money for sheets here. We need to reduce that cost and have less sheets. Well, if you have less sheets, then you have to wash more sheets. And if you have to wash more sheets, then you have to change the beds more. And if you have to do that more, guess what happens? Well, you've got to go up and down the elevators more. So they found out this is what was happening. So trying to save money by reducing the number of bed sheets purchased and stored and washed actually created more challenges for them. But they figured this out, and they got it back on track. Now, I say all that to say sometimes we all have to come together. And instead of pointing fingers and saying, well, this person's in common or that person, no, we got to come together and say, what is the real problem? We all want it to be because if you work at the Ritz-Carlton, you want everything to be great. You want to be a good worker. So they wanted the customers to be happy, but something was happening and they found the problem. Now, Moses had a blind spot for a while, didn't he? Where I can't do any, I can't do any of this. I'm not, then all of a sudden he realized, yes, I can. But then he got the blind spot of I have to do it all myself. But then he realized, no, I don't. God's actually called other people to do it, and he listened to that. Now, in Galatians, Paul talks about helping one another as brothers and sisters in, in Christian community. And he says this in, in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. And this, this confused me for many years. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, and they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. 
Did anybody get confused about Paul said two different things in that passage? I always kind of struggle with this. The first, at the, at the beginning, he says, carry each other's burdens. And then at the bottom, he says, for each one should what? Carry their own load. For many years, I kind of go, well, what are you saying, Paul? Do I let everybody else carry my burden or do I carry my own load? Which is it? Well, one of our preachers that was here for many years, Jim Donovan, I remember him teaching about this, and it always, I always remembered his illustration. He said the Greek words in that first one, carry each other's burdens, a burden is this huge, like, rock that you can, like, you know, one of these big risers here. You know, if I had to carry it by myself, I mean, and I could, because I'm a strong man. No, I really couldn't by myself. <laughs> I would need to call Jonathan and three or four other people up here to help me carry this riser out here. I couldn't do that. And he said the Greek word for that is like that. It's, it's such a big thing you can't do by yourself. So you have to get help from other people. And we should carry one of those burdens. And I've seen y'all do that in this church. When someone has something that's overwhelming, y'all step up and you help because they can't do it by themselves. But sometimes people have a blind spot with that, don't they? I have this burden, but I don't want y'all to know about it because I don't need any help. And that's a blind spot. Yes, you do need help. And you need to be vulnerable and say, I need your help. Can you help me? Because we give others the opportunity to do what God's called them to do in the world. But sometimes that second word, each one should carry their own load, is like your own backpack. The Greek word is talking about like a knapsack or a backpack or a lady's purse. Something we just, our gym bag, we just throw it on and we carry it. Have you ever had your kids on vacation trying to get you to carry their luggage? Yeah, I see moms going, that's right. And I told me, I'm not carrying your luggage. Carry your own dang luggage, right? You know, you, are, you have to teach your kids responsibility that, no, you have your own backpack for school. You have your own luggage on vacation. You are supposed to carry that, not me. And sometimes there's a life where we have to carry our own things, like our blind spot. You know, someone shared with us, and we can either be wise and listen to that and say, you're right. And we pick up that, and we say, I'm going to start carrying that. You're right. I need to take responsibility for my blind spot, and I'm going to work on that. And you thank that person, and you try to work on that. But sometimes it's overwhelming, and we need people to help us. And I think that we see from the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, that we need each other, that we need each other. But God's also called us to do things that we have to take responsibility for. So this morning, I want to challenge us with that. What blind spot did you identify with today? Was it Moses going, hey, I don't know how to do that, so I'm, I'm off the hook? Maybe that's your blind spot. Or maybe taking on too many tasks and being overwhelmed and not letting others help you. Maybe that's your blind spot today. But you're in good company either way because Moses, one of the greatest leaders we read about in the Bible, struggled with both of those at one point in his life. And blind spots, he was preparing the way for Jesus and getting overcoming those blind spots and preparing the way for Jesus. And you and I can be part of the help of other people, preparing them to know who Jesus is. But we must rely not just on our own power, not on our own giftedness, but God's power and the strength and the gifts and the, the help of others around us to help people see Jesus. And we all need to help each other with that. So God not only brought Jesus into the world to save you and me, but he invites us to be part of his work. Because we do realize God could do everything he needs to do in the world without us. He could make it happen just like that. And I don't always understand that, but he has called us and created us to do these things in the world for him. And he wants us to struggle through some of it, to learn and grow and be the people that he's called us to be and he's created us to be.